Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Penny Ellison. Penny is the executive director of Hand to Paw, an organization that supports young people aging out of foster care in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Penny. Thank you so much for joining our podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you for this opportunity. Well, you're very welcome. I'm really interested in hearing about your organization and what it is that you do there at Hand to Paw. To get started, though, before we dive into that, could you please share a little bit about your own background and how is it that you came to be connected with the foster care system? Sure. Well, my background is actually that I'm a lawyer, which is a little bit strange given what I do now, what I do with (laughs) Hand to Paw. Some people, I guess, would say I'm a recovering lawyer. (laughs) But I practiced law in Philadelphia for about 16 years and then started to think about what I wanted to do with the next phase of my life. And my alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania Law School, was looking for someone to teach a class in animal law, which I didn't have any background in, but I was very interested in. So I made a proposal and they accepted it. And I started in 2006, I started teaching a seminar every year there as an adjunct professor called Animal Law and Ethics. And one of my students in about 2010 had come up with this idea for hand to paw. She was actually still an undergrad at Penn and had been taking a class about poverty and also taking this class about animal law. And she was actually volunteering at a local shelter and came up with this idea to bring teenagers that were experiencing homelessness to the shelter for volunteer sessions. She saw a lot of teenagers on the street on her way, literally walking from campus to the animal shelter, and a lot of them had dogs with them. And she knew that the shelter needed lots more help, that they were able to sort of provide the bare minimum of care, but they didn't always have enough staff to get the dogs out of their kennels enough and get them enough interaction with people. So she thought that could be a mutual benefit there. So she partnered with Covenant House. They have two facilities in Philadelphia, as well as other facilities nationally and internationally, where they take in youth experiencing homelessness. And it started as a program where Covenant House would transport groups of five to eight youth every week to the animal shelter, spend a few hours there, you know, get a break from the shelter and give the shelter some help and have like have a good experience feeling like they contributed and were making a positive difference. And that's really where the program was when she graduated from Penn and came to me and said, what should I do with this nonprofit that I formed? It wasn't a 501c3 yet. I think it had about $1,500 in the bank. And I said, sure, I would help take it over, which I thought at the time would just kind of mean run the website and do some fundraising. But it ended up meaning a lot more than that. For a long time, still, we were an all-volunteer organization But we started thinking that the young people needed internship opportunities to prepare for the workforce. So initially, we worked in a few different animal shelters and asked them, would you be willing to take on a young person for, say, eight weeks or 10 weeks and train them and treat them as an intern? And they were. And we did that for a while. And we would pay the intern. But we found that they needed a lot more than that. 
The shelters are nonprofits themselves so that every employee feels that they have more to do than they could possibly get done. So it's hard to constantly be training someone new. So we fundraised and grew so that we could hire our own staff, first just one part-time person, so that they were in the shelters supervising our people and kind of acting as a liaison between the young people and the shelters. And then we grew a little bit more and we took over a satellite adoption center for the Pennsylvania SPCA. And that was great because that was the first time that we had our own space. You know, it had sort of a conference room with a whiteboard and a television screen so that we could have a place to really conduct curriculum and not just be working around the animal shelter, but have time that we could sit and address different topics that we knew the youth needed to learn about. You know, we always took youth that were involved in programming of some sort, and I think that that gave us the belief, which was sometimes incorrect, that they were getting other types of services, you know, mental health services and life skills. Over time, I think what we have learned is that we need to provide more than we originally thought, that we're not just a job training program, we're an everything program. And throughout this development, what was the time frame, first of all? Like, how many years ago was this when this journey started? I took over as executive director as a volunteer in 2012. We probably had paid staff by 2014 or 2015, at least one paid staff member. In 2018 is when we took over the Satellite Adoption Center. And that's actually also coincides with when we started having more involvement with foster youth, because we looked for other partners. As I said, our original partner was Covenant House, and they were a strong partner in the sense that their staff is very willing to work with us, and their staff tends to hang around for a while. But it presented challenges because of the transient nature of many of the youth that are there. As we're realizing that we need to give more to each young person and to have them for a longer period of time, we had this problem with the transient nature of Covenant House. So we went out to look for other partners and we ended up working with the Achieving Independence Center, which is a sort of an umbrella organization in Philadelphia that coordinates, I would say, all types of services for youth that have been and or are still in care as teenagers. And that led us to CB Community School, which was a high school for just for youth that are in care. So then when we were expanding our staff, we actually hired our contact from CB Community School, who was their sort of post-secondary placement person. And with her move to Handapaw, I think that solidified our relationship with the partners that have more youth that are in foster and aging out of care. Mm -hmm. So what are the ages of the youth that you work with right now? Well, one of the other things that's changed over time is we have more than one program our main flagship program we call Unleashing Opportunities. <laughs> Isn't that cute? I see what you did there. Yeah, right. Oh, wait till you get to the next one. <laughs> Unleashing Opportunities youth are 18 to 24 usually. We have another program called Pause Per, which is a play on Prosper, of course, but it's Pause and Per. Because we were meeting some youth who were very much interested in exploring veterinary careers or working with animals, but they weren't available for, say, four days a week. So Unleashing Opportunities, you're with us four days a week. As you progress through the program over a period of months, 
We try to transition people out to job partners. So they're working in a veterinary hospital or a shelter, but not everybody has four days a week when we need them. So PausePer has has been a weekly program. It's been lately on Saturdays, so it can go down to age 16 because it can accommodate youth that are still in school or other reasons why they can't come in during the week. So it's also a good kind of first experience with us to decide whether this is something you might want to pursue, the longer program. So it's kind of a, a feeder program. And we also do, through Philadelphia Youth Network, their Summer Work Ready program. It's for summer break, so it's July through a lot of August. And those youth, they have youth in that program down to age 14, but we still say we want them to be at least 16. Oh, okay. It's a safety thing when you're working with animals. Yeah, right. Wow. So the Unleashing Opportunities program that you have, let's dive into that a little bit more. Could you share what exactly is it that a young person could expect to do? when they come into your program and maybe even just start by sharing how do you find these young people? How do they come into the program? And then what is it that they experience? Okay, sure. So over the years, we have developed partnerships with a variety of social service agencies. The ones that I've already mentioned, there are a few others in the community that run the supervised independent living for foster youth. Project Home is another one, but we have a lot of partners so that when we are, say, starting a class for Unleashing Opportunities, and a class lasts about six months, when we're starting a class, we would reach out to all of those partners, say, hey, we'd like to meet youth that would be interested in doing this. Do you have anyone to refer to us? We like them to like animals. They don't necessarily have to want a career working with animals, but you know, they're more successful if they at least have an affinity for animals and they have the availability to work when our programming is scheduled. And we hold interviews. So we get referrals from all these agencies. We interview youth. We have sort of come up with a set of criteria that helps give us an idea if that youth is likely to succeed in our program. It is, of course, interest in working with animals or some love of animals. It's also having at least one supportive adult in their life. It doesn't have to be a parent, obviously, but you know, someone that they can count on. And if they've also attempted employment before, that's sort of a plus, even if it didn't go well. They've already learned some of those lessons about attendance and all that. So from that, we pick usually five youth per class. One of the lessons that we've learned is that each youth needs so much that we should not be working with 10 or 15 or 20 youth at a time. It's really got to be smaller, especially as they go out to the job partners and we need to coordinate with them. It's just Five seems like about a good number. So the way the program is structured now, they start out spending a couple of months with us four days a week. I guess what I didn't mention in our discussion of hand-to-pause progression is that last year we were able to secure the funding to get our own site. So, ah. yeah, so which, which makes a big difference. It changed the programming. It changes everything. You just had a like an open house for your new site, correct? We did. We did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's exciting. Yes. We were sorry to miss you. I'm sorry I couldn't <laughs> make it out there, but I will. You're close enough. Yes. It's like, what, two hours. Yeah. I should definitely go out and see your site. Yes. January <laughs> is probably not the best time to make a two-hour no. ride. So we'll have you sometime <laughs> when it's nice. You know, so as I mentioned, we were running this satellite adoption center, which was basically like a little retail store in Philadelphia. Then that closed immediately pre-pandemic. 
So we were sort of looking around for our own space, and we had kind of concluded that we couldn't find affordable space that was willing to have our use. There's some people that had a problem with the animals and some people that sort of looked at us strange about the youth because, you know what I mean? That I thought everybody's going to talk about, we don't want barking dogs or what about the smells. But I also got a little bit of, well, what kind of youth do you work with? Because we do work with justice-involved youth, frankly, and some people have an issue with that. So we hadn't found our own space, and then the pandemic hit. And you know, just like the rest of the world, we shut down for a little while, but then we got space donated to us, which we're very grateful for, and we spent about a year and a half there. But it was a third-floor walk-up space that was in a section of the city that's not necessarily convenient to where our youth come from. But it was a great bridge to the point of last year having the money to go out and get a space that's really a house. It's a house, and it's called the Alney section of Philadelphia. It's got some a little bit of garden outside, so we can have that be part of the program. It's got a lovely kitchen. It's got room to have a study center for the youth, and they were very open to our housing animals there. So we've, instead of going to the animal shelters now, we house animals in our own space. So getting back to like, what do you do when you start unleashing opportunities is you're going to, number one, help us care for the animals in our space. We don't have dogs because we don't have enough space really for dogs, but we have, ah, got it. <laughs> we have cats. We had bunnies for a while. We don't have any bunnies right now. We have turtles. Big turtles in giant tanks in the basement, and we have guinea pigs. So last summer, we got a call that somebody had let loose like 20 guinea pigs in Philadelphia, and it was 100 degrees, and they were suffering, and people weren't able to get them taken to the shelter. So our youth and our staff went out with cages and rounded them up, and we've cared for them ever since, and we've adopted out most of them at this point. So that's, you know, the youth get involved in that. And we also, so I would say we have sort of a hands-on work portion of the program, and we have lots of a real classroom curriculum that's based on a resilience framework, based on a strengths-based framework, Ken Ginsberg's book about the resilience for young people. So we work through the seven C's of competence, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control. So there's a lot of socio-emotional aspects to the program. In addition to more practical aspects like financial literacy, now that we have our own kitchen, like how to budget for groceries, how to cook, how to, you know, the kind of skills that if you grew up in care, you didn't necessarily get from that. So Mm -hmm. is this model that you have combining working with these young people who need the extra support to help them transition to adulthood in foster care or homeless, or I'm saying any at-risk youth, working specifically with animals like you do. Is this a unique model? Have you found this elsewhere? There are restaurants, there are cafes with this kind of model, but it's the first time I've heard of, you know, an animal shelter or animal care nonprofit working with these youth. We are certainly unique in this area, and I think there's a good chance that we're unique nationally. I think a few years ago, I talked to someone in Seattle that was running more of like a dog daycare and boarding facility as part of a jobs program for homeless youth. But, you know, in terms of combining animal rescue and sheltering, I think we're totally unique. I would not be surprised if you are. And who developed the curriculum? 
you base some of it on the book, but did you hire somebody to develop the curriculum? Did you develop it yourself? How did that work out? Our program director developed it herself, and it's the kind of thing that continually develops. We work around that resilience framework, but then we find what skills are the youth missing when they go out to employment, and we get that feedback, and then we incorporate that into our programming. And also, one of the things that we would like to have is some type of certificate when they're done. Right now, we give them a certificate, but I don't know that it has any external meaning. So we look at things like how the state of Pennsylvania defines workforce development and try to incorporate some of those principles, too, so that we have some external validation that what we're doing is actually helping them to become more employable. Right. Now, you give this certificate, which is amazing. It's a completion certificate of some kind. But how do you define success for these young people? If they're successful, do you track them beyond their participation in your program, or is it really completion of the program is what you consider successful? That's a very good question. And it is something that we've had to redefine because I think not coming from within social services, I think I started this out very naively and thinking that successful completion meant the youth was full-time employed when they left the program and they kept the job. And there's just so many more ways to measure success than that. Are they in more stable housing? Are they accessing the mental health care that they need? We track those things. We've also expanded the support services that we have for alumni. That I was just working on finalizing the 2023 budget, and I think the line item that I want to expand the most is that, is paying for more alumni support, whatever it is they need. Like Things we have done in the past is help them keep their housing because they had a financial emergency, try to create a fund so that we can step in and pay their rent this month if they need to because they started a new job and they're not getting paid in time to pay their rent, help them buy groceries if that's a problem this month, help them get that certificate that might help them. Now, some of our youth, like I said, they don't necessarily want to work with animals. They enjoy animals. They learn all about all the resources that are available to people in Philadelphia with pets that need help. One of the things that I love and I'm very proud of is then they go back out into the community and no matter what their job is, they have this knowledge about if you need low-cost vet care, this is a place you could go. This is why you get vaccines. This is why you should spay or neuter your pet. And they sort of become ambassadors for that. But some youth don't want to do it as a job, especially the medical side of things. First time I took a tour of a shelter, they asked, they said, oh, well, we're doing an amputation today. Do you want to go in and see? I'm like, no, I do not. Um, (laughs) Thanks for asking, but. (laughs) No. We do have youth that are working in veterinary hospitals. It's great because it's very much a growing field. I'm sure you may have seen during the pandemic, it was hard to get in to see a veterinarian because everybody adopted an animal because they were home all the time. So it's an easy place to get a job because they're very much looking for veterinary assistants and veterinary technicians, which should also mean that it it has an opportunity for advancement and it pays better. But there are youth that just don't want to do it. So like one youth we have in the program now, he's much more interested in learning how to code. So we're going to talk to the Community College of Philadelphia about a certificate program they have in coding. We have a call scheduled tomorrow, actually, with the point person at the community college whose job is to work with foster youth and see what kind of partnership we could have. And I expect that that would sort of be a bilateral partnership where if she has young people that are interested in the veterinary track, 
they might come to work with us while they're in school and make money and help learn more. And at the same time, we might refer a youth to her who, like this youth, would like to learn how to do coding, and she could connect him with the support services at the community college while we you know, fund his going through that program. And so how many alumni do you have now? How many young people have been through one or more of your programs? I should have that number off the top of my head, and I don't. <laughs> Ballpark. Because, okay, 100-ish, I would say. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. That's fantastic. And your new site, I'm curious about transportation. Do you have public transportation yes, yes. to get the young people there? Yeah. And they have to come to you, I assume. Yes. And one of our criteria for finding a space was it has to be easy to get to on our public transportation. And that is one of the things that we fund for them. We don't want to have them not be able to get to work because of that. Are you considered outside of the city or are you within city limits? Oh, we're within city limits. Yeah, You're within city limits. Yeah. Okay. So the nice thing is you are more likely to have public transportation versus, oh, I don't know, Montana, oh, <laughs> where yes. you're not going to be able to get a bus somewhere. Yeah, that's funny because we did try to do a program out in the pretty far suburbs. I had a social worker, essentially, who wanted to try to sort of be a satellite program for us. And that was one of the big hurdles is there was no way to get the youth to the shelter because there was no public transportation. Uh. It's a big consideration when people want to start a nonprofit with this population. I hope it's something that people don't overlook, mm -hmm. but one might get excited if you find a space that's perfect <laughs> and without thinking of, oh, how are the kids going to get here? <laughs> yes, because sometimes it's technically possible, but practically, if you have to change buses all the time, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And it's the same way with our employment partners. We used to have an employment partner who said, you know, I want to help your youth, like send them to me. Afterwards, it was like a pet supply store, but it was in the suburbs. So the youth was spending too much on transportation because you had to take a train instead of a bus, and he couldn't even get there early enough on a weekend morning for when they wanted him to start. Transportation is definitely a hurdle. We applied for a grant this year that we didn't get to buy a van. I'm never sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. That they don't think, well, you know, <laughs> owning a van would be a hassle too. Yeah, it's good and bad. Because you don't want to end up, you know, being behind the wheel, picking kids up all the time, right? I say right. kids because I'm 55. They might be 24. I'm thinking of them as kids now. Well, that's wonderful. Now, let's go back to the Pause Per program. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. How is that different? This is more career development in the area of animal care, correct? Yes. It's more like exploring. It's a lot of humane education. So the Unleashing Opportunities interns are paid just like any other employee. They're paid by the hour, regular payroll, paycheck. The Pause for Youth, we pay a stipend to every week that they come. And it's sort of Unleashing Opportunities light. They get a lot of the humane education. They also together, both programs participate in the events that we host. We hosted two community events last summer that were to get to know the community so that we can figure out what their needs are, how we can help them more. We had free pet food available. We had a veterinary nurse there to answer their questions. Both sets of youth participated in getting ready for that and planning the event. It helps them learn to be leaders. It helps them feel like they're making a contribution to the community. It's great stuff. Wow, that's wonderful. And how long has PAUSPER been in existence? We've been through th three or four cycles of that program. We just graduated them the beginning of this month. They stay with us for four months. 
It's a little bit shorter also than Unleashing Opportunities. And Unleashing Opportunities, if they're with us for six months, like I said, they are slowly transitioning to a workplace. But we do have a formal post-six months program where it sort of winds down more slowly. The first month, maybe you come in once a week. And the second month, you come in every other week. And then the third month, you come in once. It's just to make sure that we're staying in communication We're their family a lot of times at this point, so we want to make sure that they know that we're not one of the things that's going to briefly enter their life and then leave. We want to make sure that we keep those lines of communication open. Nobody that works in this field is 100% successful. We lose touch with youth, but we're trying to make it harder to do that. Do you have any young people who have been through your program who are actually working on or have become a veterinarian? Not quite that far yet. Okay. We do have people that are working in veterinary hospitals. We do have interest also from a funder in paying for an online education program so that they could be official veterinary assistants instead of just learning everything on the job. There's no real requirement for licensure in Pennsylvania to be a veterinary assistant or a veterinary technician, but I think it would help our youth a lot that are really interested in that if we could put some of them through that program, you know, of course, with our support. We geared up to do everything, at least part-time remotely through the pandemic. Like a lot of other organizations, we accelerated the technological transition that we probably should have been doing anyway in terms of providing Chromebooks for our youth so that they can participate in both educational programs and in our program. It's definitely one of the challenges of providing any of this type of programming during COVID. Well, There are a lot of challenges, one of which is most of the kids live in a group home, a shelter, somewhere where their exposures were very high. So we needed to do a lot of things remotely. And they either didn't have Wi-Fi access, didn't have a laptop, or didn't have any privacy in their living place or all of the above. Because, you know, we get into some deep stuff, you know, in the conversations that we have with them. You know, we'd like them to open up and talk about issues that they're facing, issues they might share with one another and get that kind of support. But it's not necessarily something you want to have in a room that other people are in. Right. I think that's something a lot of people don't consider in regard to group homes or shelters or things like that is that lack of privacy. I was in foster care as a teenager and my sister and I were in two different group homes. And it's very true. You're constantly around people. Yes, that's definitely been a problem with doing anything remotely. It's also probably the reason that one of the things that we've incorporated into our programming is providing more food. We've had, I can remember, you know, one young man who was living in a group home with, you know, eight teenage boys. And because of the time of our programming after school, it ran until about 7 p.m. And he said, like, when he went home, dinner was over and there was nothing in the refrigerator. So we have provided more and more meals for our youth when they're with us. Somebody might hear the name of your organization and get the gist of it and think it's only about the animals, but you do so much more for these young people, which they need. They need all of this support to help them be able to line up all of the basic needs of their lives so that they can be independent. Absolutely. I mean, we're getting them at kind of a critical time where they haven't been taught a lot of things that they need to be taught about living on their own. So that's, you know, our programming has just gotten, I would say, longer and deeper to make sure that we're helping them make that transition as best we can. I started out just thinking of us as a job training program, but that just doesn't work. Yeah. 
not by itself. Right. Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that's the food thing. If you're hungry, then you really can't participate in much work training. Exactly. So the working with the animals is one avenue of helping provide skills that these young people need just to hold a job and to get them into a space where you can have these other conversations and classes. And any, I'm thinking like auto mechanic or, you know, plumbing or really any job, office jobs, where if you wanted to devote your time to supporting these young people, you could create a program like this. It's just what they're learning on the job is going to be different. Yes, that's absolutely right. It does not have to be animals. Although I think animals also provide a vehicle for discussing a lot of the things that we need to discuss. And in terms of training methods and how learning methods and how can you teach an animal to react differently? And why is he reacting the way that he's reacting? And maybe it looks like he's being scary, but really he's afraid and this is how it's manifesting. And it really helps on the therapeutic side of things as well. But definitely you could teach this same set of skills with another job as a goal. Mm -hmm. I would prefer the animal route myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun. When we used to go to the yeah. <laughs> when we would go to the shelters, I led a lot of those sessions and it would be about a two-hour session, and there would be a good mix of fun stuff and not fun stuff, meaning you know, you're cleaning out kennels and you're giving dogs baths, but you're also going outside and playing with them. And we would always end with sitting in a circle with kittens, like everybody holding a kitten. And it's like, it, uh, it was great, <laughs> especially for the guys learning that they would come in saying they hated cats, and then they would really like kitten holding time. Well, I'm a cat person. I have two cats myself. So I would totally get into the caring for the cat side. And even guinea pigs. I've had guinea pigs in my life. They're a little squirrely, so to speak. <laughs> but they're fun. But you can train them too. Yeah. You can train guinea pigs to do tricks. And obviously also, since all of our animals are available for adoption, we need to promote them online. And you can teach transferable skills doing that. You need to write up a biography. You need to think about what kind of home should this cat go to? Would he be good with children or not? And we need to take some pictures and post them online. So I think all those things teach transferable skills. Sure. And interpersonal skills in a sense, because you need to have empathy when you're working with animals and you have to have good observance skills to understand what that animal might be going through. and kindness and just so many things that you would want to transfer to humans, you can have the conversation about that in regard to animals. Oh, absolutely. You're 100% correct. And you hit the nail on the head with empathy. It's certainly a very big part of our program. And that's why some of our funding now comes from anti-violence grants, because although we didn't really start this as a way to fight violence, the empathy that it teaches certainly does in addition to sort of conflict resolution skills, you know, what are other ways to resolve conflict and how can you empathize with this person or animal that you're dealing with here? How can you put yourself in their shoes and figure out what they're experiencing? And it, it ends up being anti-violence work. Yeah. Well, with some time that we have left, I don't want to cut you off. If there's anything else about your programs that you want to share, please share it now. And then we'll move into a conversation about the foster care system itself. I just want to remind people that if they're interested in adopting a cat or a guinea pig, they should check out our <laughs> website. 
<laughs> and what is your website? Also for donations. Sure. It's hand to paw and the two is a number. So it's hand the number two paw, P-A-W.org. And I will point out, because I neglected to do so in the beginning, that your organization won an award for small programs in 2022, an AOI award. It was a peer-judged program, and they selected your organization as among the best of the applications that were submitted. And so you won one of our awards. So congratulations. Thank you very much. We were very, very honored, and we're very grateful. Well, I'm really glad that you submitted an application because when I first saw it, I was like, I think they misunderstood foster care. I think, I think they were thinking fostering animals. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, no. They really are a program that works with youth in foster care. <laughs> yeah, I get that same. Google makes that same mistake sometimes when I'm searching for one or the other. No, that's not the foster care I mean. It's exactly right. <laughs> well, let me ask this. From your perspective, having worked with these young people, what do you think the foster care system can do better to help prepare these youth for adulthood? Well, I guess I would start with sort of more intensive transition planning earlier, prior to aging out, you know, giving them at least a couple of years of transition planning to make sure that they avoid those bad outcomes that we all read about, about homelessness or resorting to survival behaviors and just, you know, give them more support in making that transition. That would include, if at all feasible, some type of guaranteed path to subsidized housing because it's a, you know, housing everywhere is very expensive and the prices have gone up incredibly in Philadelphia. And for the youth that we continue to mentor over a period of years, I know that even if they manage to land subsidized housing, which a lot of them don't, it's hard to maintain it, especially as they do start to make enough money to live, they lose their housing. So having that secure housing would help. As would, I think, you know, valuing the child welfare workers that work with them, valuing them in a financial sense, paying them more, giving them more resources for their own trauma. And that might lead to less turnover so that the youth would have more consistent support. They would really know them as individuals. Yeah, that's a huge issue. The lack of support for the social workers themselves and different aspects of support. Time, right? There are not enough social workers, so they're overworked. Like you're saying, pay. There's so many things, I think there are opportunities to, to better support these adults who really should be in the young people's corner. And I think they want to be, mm -hmm. but they have so many cases. Yep. They might not be able to see a youth, a particular youth, like except for maybe once every three weeks or four weeks. I don't doubt that the social workers have much more of a burden than we do and that it's very, very difficult to deal with. Yeah, I agree. Now, going back to the subsidized housing, are you referring to something along the lines of Section 8 housing when you say subsidized? I wasn't referring to that specifically, and I don't probably know enough about that program to comment, but just you know that there is no sort of guaranteed path that they know that they would be able to get housing and that they could afford on what they are likely to make. I mentioned earlier how naive I was when I started this, and one of the things I was naive about, I think, was if we can connect them to employment and they are reliable and show up on time and do their work, that they would be able to make it. And that's just often not the case. Even as wages have gone up, when I first started doing this, a lot of the employment partners would want to pay them $8 or $9 an hour, which with having a cell phone and transportation and eating and stuff was really kind of impossible. And now 
even with wages getting up around 15 an hour, you, know, you can't afford an apartment to yourself. Right. Now, I'm trying to envision what this could look like. I know that there are university systems, states, I should say, saying, hey, we will pay for college for youth coming out of foster care. Maybe it's community colleges, maybe it's university systems, but they know if they get into a college in certain states that it will be paid for. I think it would have to be potentially a state-by-state policy change that young people coming out of foster care would also automatically be accepted into Section 8 or whatever the subsidized housing program is for that state so that they know that they could have that extra support from the government to have housing. The challenge is landlords, it's optional for them to accept Section 8. And the wait is so long. Even if they were guaranteed to be approved, they would probably get on a wait list. Right. And I don't know that I agree with forcing landlords to accept Section 8, but maybe incentivizing landlords more to accept Section 8. Yes. I think that could be a way to go, is incentivizing them to be part of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Or give the youth a housing allowance as part of aging out. You know, for the next two years, you'll get X amount of dollars that you can put towards housing. And it might not be enough, but it's a subsidy. Right, exactly. And maybe the system, however it's worked out, they pay the landlord directly, right? I think that's how Section 8 works. I'm only familiar with Section 8. so No, but I was thinking the same thing, that they wouldn't want to do it as a payment to the youth that the youth could then use for anything. It would be paid directly to the landlord so that if your rent is $1,000 a month, it would be 500 because we're subsidizing. Right. What do you think about something like this? Where a youth lives would make a big difference. But again, I'm just thinking out loud here. So you have a state who has this program for Section 8 or some kind of subsidized housing or an allowance. Let's call it an allowance for housing. Would it be a good idea to then say, in order to get this young person, you need to sign up with a nonprofit that provides life skills support or extend it. It could be one or the other. You stay in extended foster care, right? That's mm-hmm. a possibility. And you can get this allowance or you sign up with a program and remain in the program that provides this kind of wraparound services. I think that could really help. And or you're employed X hours per month and or you're a full-time student. You know, yeah. You could certainly lay out criteria that would help make sure that the young people are on the right track. If you're going to subsidize the housing, the deal is that you meet one of these criteria or more of these criteria. Exactly. And maybe it's a matter of, you know, the first year you get a certain amount, the second year it goes down a little bit. Maybe even three years and it goes down a little bit more, but it gives you the opportunity to build up a track record at your employers or save up money so that you can support yourself more and more every year. And then finally, you're done. That's a great idea. That's actually how my scholarship to law school worked. Oh, is it? I got less every year with the assumption that I would be working and be able to contribute more of my own money. So yes. See, (laughs) it's a proven model. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I think we've thrown out some ideas. Hopefully we have some policymakers listening to this podcast. I like to have this conversation at the end of every interview because, you know, there's certainly opportunities we could, if we wanted to slam the system, but I really prefer to think about solutions. And hopefully maybe these ideas can be picked up by advocates and they can go to their state and who knows, maybe we'll see something like this someday. That would be great. I think so too. 
Well, I see that we've come to the end of our time together, and I'm very sorry because I've really so much enjoyed talking with you. I want to wish you all the best out in Philadelphia. I will get out there and visit you. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for participating, and, and I'm certainly going to keep an eye on Hand to Paw and, and how things grow. Thank you very much, Lynn, and we really appreciate the award that we got from AOI, and we will keep up the good work. Well, for those of you who've listened to this to the end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can go to our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and look for the podcast link in the menu, and you'll find all of our podcasts there. Thank you very much. Until next time.